This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to a fast break edition of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined, actually joined, by my fantastic and fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby, who decided to take the last podcast off. And I was just grateful that she has blessed us with her presence today. Hey, what Tarika. we're not going to do is start the podcast off like this because you thoroughly threw me under the bus last time. And I'm glad the good folks of social media know me and know my character and know that it was just all you being a brat that you had to do it by yourself. You know, that brat and LaChina just don't sound like they're related to me. But if anyone would know, you would. Um, and that's fine. You know, I, you, you work hard. And listen, you're multifaceted. And our podcast fans just need to know that sometimes you need your time to do what you have to do. I mean, geez. I appreciate it. Now that you put it like that. I'm here for it. Um, But fans, we did promise you that we would revisit some hot topics in the WNBA and around women's basketball today. So we're going to do exactly that. This will be a short podcast, just Tariq and I giving our thoughts on some things that are happening uh, and that have been on our minds, including the situation in the bubble with the WNBA. First few days have not popped off successfully. Uh, We will also talk about Kelly Leffler, the co-owner of the Atlanta Dream, who is making headlines because of some of her comments in opposition of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, also in opposition of the initiatives that the WNBA is proposing around using their social justice platform this summer, and the Duke job we will touch on briefly as well amongst a couple of other topics. So, Tariqa, why don't you go ahead and get us started with whatever is on your mind first. Well, I think the first thing that we have to address has to be um, some of the news that came out of the WNBA bubble yesterday. A good friend of the podcast um, and yours and mine, uh, Kayla Johnson, received a couple of videos from some players who had arrived at Florida. And granted, there were plenty of, of players who uh, described the conditions and the lodging and the accommodations as being very positive. Um, being uh, very nice, super nice, um, very fully furnished. There were a couple of others who unfortunately did not experience that same sentiment upon their arrival in Florida. In fact, um, the video was very adamant and, and detailing and explaining there were, you know, the laundry room was very unkept. There was a mouse trap that was tried, well, at least it tried to be inconspicuously Uh, placed at the top of the laundry room. There was a worm on one of the floors that was found by one of the players. Um, The food was, was, it just absolutely looked disgusting. And um, at first there were questions on the legitimacy of video, but um, after being confirmed by several people, and of course, Kayla Johnson being, you know, one of the most um, honest and appropriate and, you know, filled with integrity type individuals, we knew that there had to have been some validity to this video. And I think it took most of us by surprise. Um, So I just want to know, you know, as we get started, what were your initial thoughts when you saw this, when you heard about these things? Um, Where where did this land for you? Well, T, um, and yeah, shout out to Kayla, because I mean, those videos started a 
a conversation that needed to be had kind of around what player expectations are as multiple professional sports um, are about to really kick off and, and these athletes are headed to the bubble situation uh, for the next few months, possibly. Um, you know, when you're leaving your home, when you're leaving the comfort of your family and in some instances, you know, your spouse, your pets, your own bed. And I mean, let's just put it out there. This is unprecedented for an athlete um, to have to really change their environment and, and move away in some instances away from their self care. And so I, I just think first impressions are important. Mm-hmm. And I just, along with everyone else was disappointed with some of the visuals that we got from these videos and even the player tweets from yeah. Asia Wilson and Jewel Lloyd and Dierica Hamby, uh, Brianna Stewart posted on Instagram that there were bug traps in between her mattresses. I mean, that's not what you want to hear or see when players are just getting to a location where they're going to have to get pretty comfortable and settle in um, for the season. And so, you know, a couple of the players that I spoke to describe the conditions as unacceptable for professional athletes. There were three different uh, housing places available, if you will, hotel, lodges, villas, and it was just very apparent that <clears throat> some of the properties, not all, some of them were, like you said, super nice and looked great and were well-kept, but some weren't renovated, some weren't clean others had insect issues just conditions that you nor i would want to live in Mm -hmm. um and and so you totally understand this the sentiments of these athletes that they didn't feel comfortable and so what i will say is i talked to a good friend of our podcast holly Rowe, and she said that commissioner kathy engelbert and her staff are on top of this, that, you know, they were up at one o'clock in the morning trying to get some of the players moved to other locations that were more updated. But I do believe that this could put a stress on um, the count, the number of people that may be allowed into this WNBA bubble space if some of the accommodations are just not up to par and they, they have to find other places to put players or to put staff uh, you know, you just wonder how that may impact the whole situation. Now, the food I've heard is going to get better once the cafeteria space opens up. You hope that that really happens. Diamond DeShields hit social media today and said you know, she doesn't eat meat, and she was very clear about that, and she has not had um, good options as as a vegetarian or a, a vegan, I believe, um, that, you know, she hasn't really eaten and that's not what you want to hear from a world-class athlete that is expected to perform at the highest level. So um, a lot of disappointment doesn't sound like players are necessarily looking to move, but I just expected more out of the WNBA. I will wholeheartedly agree with that. And just for full transparency, we did invite Kayla to come on the show and talk about it for a little bit. And her response to me, and she wanted me to share this, is that um, she didn't want to come on the show, not because she doesn't love us, but because she didn't want to make it about her. She wanted it to be about the players. And she wants to make it very clear that 
you know, the situation with the accommodations needs to be changed and needs to be fixed because she, like us, believe that these athletes deserve the best. And I think that she makes a great point with that. I mean, even considering that, you know, a lot of players had to take commercial flights down to Florida, the testing that went involved with them getting there, um, some of the situations that we've seen in the past with, you know, how they've traveled and just all these kinds of things just come into play when a situation like this arises. And so you don't want to make the assumption that there's lack of care or lack of concern, but it just piles on top of the point that I think we all have tried to make that these players deserve the best. And at some point it becomes, you know, the tip of the iceberg where you're like, at what point do we realize that where they are and how, you know, they've been treated and compared to other athletes and other, other sports, um, regardless of what finances or um, what comes in from that perspective financially, what's, what's capable and what's not, there just needs to be a level of consistency in how they're treated. And I, and I respect Kayla for her opinion and for sharing these videos to help make that point, um, because otherwise, who knows what we may or may not have known. All right, so um, moving on to something else that I think is equally as important is um, the social justice that uh, the league is looking into as it attempts its restart. So we just heard earlier in this week that the WNBA and its union have agreed to honor the women who have died in connection to police brutality, um, like Sandra Bland and Breonna Taylor, for example, um, by putting their names on the jerseys. The players will also have warm-up shirts that say Black Lives Matter on the front and say her name on the back. And there um, are also discussions of putting Black Lives Matter uh, featured on the courts at the IMG Academy. So my first question to you, LaChina, is I know coming into this season, there were a lot of questions about how the league was going to approach social justice. What do you think about the approach that they have taken thus far? Well, I believe, Tarika, that the WBA Players Association has started a social justice council with members, uh, with players of the WNBA who will be working specifically to head up their initiatives around social justice this summer and, and what the league plans to do to unify their voices and bring awareness to everything we've been talking about as it pertains to race relations around our country. Um, I, I am pretty certain that Lasia Clarendon is going to be the head of that initiative. And so I'm excited about that and the players using their voice and them continuing um, to send a very strong message from a marginalized group of, of women uh, who are 80% Black and are every day facing these issues of um, inequality in our world. So their perspective is much needed in to be intentional by, by creating this council and looking forward to those initiatives is great. Uh, I am all here for the connection to the women in particular. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland and others because, you know, black women in particular, we've had this discussion are the double minority. So there's sexism and there's also racism and um, black women are often the unseen, the unheard voices and who knows that better than the WNBA. So, um, I think it's very thoughtful for them to not just even try to, and other initiatives will, will come up as well, but for them not to try to tackle everything at once, but specifically address the women that have been impacted by police 
violence and murders and brutality um, for the names that you mentioned. And I, I think this is just an extension of what we already know of the WNBA, that they stand for social justice. We know about Maya Moore. We see Natasha Cloud and Renee Montgomery and, and everyone else and the things that they're doing. So um, I, I think it's awesome. And I'm excited to see how it all comes together this summer. Now, unfortunately, everyone doesn't quite share that same sentiment that you and I have, LaChina, because we are watching what I think is, and I'll say it as politically correct as I can on this podcast, what I think is an interesting um, view of freedom of expression. Um, while you and I are, are excited about what the players are doing in order to bring attention to social justice, Senator Kelly Loeffler um, in Georgia, who's also co-owner of the Atlanta Dream, has taken a completely opposite approach. Um, she's written WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert expressing her opposition to the very things that we just discussed. Instead of putting names on the jerseys, she suggests that the American flag is put on the jerseys. Um, she has, in this letter that she wrote, expressed in great detail her displeasure of the WNBA, quote, incredibly disappointed to read about the efforts to insert a political platform into the league. The truth is we need less, not more, politics and sports. In a time when polarizing politics is as divisive as ever, sports has the power to be a unifying antidote. And now more than ever, we should be united in our goal to remove politics from sports. Um, she basically went on to say that um, adding the flag to the jerseys would be a common sense solution. Um, she continued by saying that um, she just doesn't believe that the stance that they are taking for social justice ties and is in line with the goals of the WNBA. And quite naturally, there are many players were outraged by you know what she has said and in and her stance on this um even former players cheryl swoops um has mentioned and said that the the wnba actually her tweet exactly was wnba must do better a uh, skylar diggins smith natasha cloud alicia clark sue bird like they have all called for her removal as co-owner of the atlanta dream and I don't even know where to begin with this, LaChina. I mean, I don't really want to do this comparison, but this gives me so many Donald Sterling vibes, I don't know what to do. And so before I weigh my opinion on it, um, what you worked so closely with Atlanta, um, you've worked so closely with so many people in this organization for years. So to hear that the co-owner would feel this way, how do you think the people who have to work for this organization feel first off and second off, you know, what would your stance be in terms of how you handle this? Well, I think the players have made it extremely clear how this needs to be handled. And, and to me, their voices are the most important and where I will start. It's just hard to imagine a co-owner that does not care about her team in a league that's 80% black women off the court as much as she does on the court. Black Lives Matter is not a political movement. Um, it is a movement that in, in the way the WNBA is, is using it to bring awareness to what's happening in our country around police brutality, around systemic racism, 
around just our failure as a nation when it comes to race relations. So for her to try to create this narrative that this is a divisive issue is extremely tone deaf. Um, it, it shows that she has not been listening to the players that represent her team. It's shocking. And, you know, you're right. I was a part of the Atlanta Dream broadcast crew for 12 years of, of my career. And I was there when Kelly Leffler started up until about a year ago. And this is very surprising to me. I've been around Kelly. I've been to her home. Um, I've been obviously spent time around her and her husband. And I am just shocked at how she has tried to misdirect and misinform people around the values of the WNBA and the motivation of the league to create this platform to discuss Black Lives Matter and to give their players a chance to speak on issues that are directly impacting them, their families, and their communities every day. I'm just floored. I mean, to be in opposition of Black Lives Matter is your choice. But as a co-owner of a league where the players all stand together, all stand together and all unified um, against it, racism and fighting against social injustice for you to make these statements is incredibly disappointing. Yeah, I echo those sentiments, LaChina. And honestly, when I first read this and saw this, it instantly made me think of how many times we have said this is where ownership, leadership from people who look like us is important. There are just not enough. And this, while this particular situation and instance references um, Black Lives Matter, knowing the, the strives that women in the WNBA are doing, um, just in general, when you look at professional sports, there have not been many owners who have stepped up to the forefront to say, this is wrong, to say Black Lives Matter, to say um, equality for all matters. Like there just has not been enough, if any. And in considering majority of the American sports leagues for sure are, are African-American, are Blacks, it, it just does not make sense. And if you are not questioning where your owner stands on this, given that they aren't able to come out and publicly say, I support my players, I support this movement, I support what we're doing, then you need to start asking tougher questions and you need to start calling people to the carpet. And that's just kind of how I feel about it. There just aren't enough. And I think this situation just truly shows why it's so important that we start to open those doors for minority ownership in leagues, especially in the WNBA. Um, and and it, it's so disappointing. Um, there are many political uh, routes that you can take with this situation, given um, certain things and, and the way that um, certain pieces have fallen as far as, you know, this being an election year, as far as where people's, you know, campaign morals and values are. But it isn't necessarily about the politics. It's just about plain moral and human rights. And for someone to think that it's divisive to say that a group of people whose lives have been taken um, for nothing, for doing basic daily activities, to say that that they don't matter, because that's basically what you're saying. Let's call a spade a spade. It's what you're saying, pretty much. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I would feel continuing to play for a person like this. 
Um, so I agree with the players calling for her. I hope the WNBA makes the right decision. Like I said, it gives me Donald Sterling vibes, which was the owner of the LA Clippers in the NBA who had an issue with racism and it was removed. So I would love to see something similar happen here. Yeah, and that, those are some of the questions we're asking because, you know, the league did release a statement saying that, you know, Kelly Leffler is no longer part of the day-to-day operations of the Atlanta Dream and no longer on the Board of Governors, but that's not enough. Not She's enough. still a co-owner. And so, uh, you know, how Kathy Engelbert handles this uh, could be a very important moment in her, in her time as the commissioner of the WNBA. Um, she's already had to to endure a lot from a CBA to now a pandemic and now really shoulders the responsibility of moving the pieces in place to um, make sure that Kelly Leffler is, is, is no longer a part of the Atlanta Dream organization. At least that's what the players are asking for. And you have no league without players. So it will be very interesting to see how this goes. Absolutely. I um, also want to just bring attention really quickly to um, the players who have decided um, to opt out of the season for various reasons. Some of them do include social justice matters. Um, Natasha Cloud, for example, is one of them. Renee Montgomery um, is another who has, you know, devoted. Maya Moore, this is her second season sitting now, devoting her time um, to social justice and social reform. Um, but there are other players who have decided to sit out as well for very various reasons, some including um, health concerns. And I, I, I'll list a few of them, Rebecca Allen, Tiffany Hayes, John Paul Jones, Chenea Gumake, Latoya Sanders, Chrissy Tolliver, um, Liz Cambage, and most recently, Asia Durr, who recently cited that she's still suffering from complications from COVID-19. Um, with this information, from a health perspective, how concerned are you um, about moving forward with the season? Um, and if they'll be able to complete the season with the COVID-19, um, the spikes in Florida, and just your overall feeling on, you know, how the players who are continuing um, to, to decide to play, you know, how concerned do you think they may be given what's going on down there? Yeah, I mean, I have major concerns. And one thing you mentioned earlier, Tariqa, around, you know, commercial flights, that's where it starts, is if you're really going to invest in making sure that these players are safe and healthy, you're going to have to put some resources behind it. And, you know, for, for them to be tested and somewhat quarantining before heading to Florida and then to get on commercial flights just really seemed irresponsible, in my opinion. And I've also spoken to some players that are in – Bradenton right now, um, quarantining, who said that they don't feel like it's much of a bubble there because there are other people on the campus at IMG. Um, I believe there may be camps or something happening with their high school kids. And so not to say that that makes it any less of a bubble, but obviously if people aren't signing up for the same level of testing and there's a chance that you may run into some folks um, once they are able to get out and start moving around again, um, you know, it, it brings up, it raises some questions. And I've also uh, been very critical of the timing of some of the WNBA's information and release around um, their health and safety protocols. And, you know, it was well documented by Michelle Vopel that the players didn't receive a lot of that important information until they got ready uh, to, to make a decision on whether they were opting in and out. 
So there's still a lot, a lot of questions and things that you know those of us in the media have been asking that we, we haven't heard back about. So anytime there's questions and lack of transparency, there's definitely concern. But the other thing, Tarika, that worries me is Asia Durr, for example, who mm-hmm. tested positive for the coronavirus, I believe it was June 8th, and is still fighting to make a full recovery. I mean, we can talk about asymptomatic and young, healthy people all we want, but we also don't know the long-term effects of the coronavirus. Now that it's hit a young woman who was the overall number two draft pick in 2019, um, guard for the New York Liberty, Louisville All-American, it's like, okay, well, what is her future going to look like if she, God forbid, doesn't fully recover from this? And are we taking risks that maybe we shouldn't be? Now, I don't, let me tell you this, I I would not want to be in the seat of Adam Silver or of Caddy Engelberg because I do think they have tough decisions to make around bringing sport back and some of the economic impacts of of not having a season. You know, we talk about momentum and all of those things that have to be considered. Uh, But I just hope at the end of the day that the proper resources are being put in place to ensure that health and safety protocols are not just words that we're putting out there, but that they are actually living that every day as they prepare to kick off the season. We still don't have a schedule. Um, You know, the season is expected to start in what, two weeks, a little bit over two, three weeks. Um, So still a lot of questions. And, you know, we also don't know about the medical exception. So there could be more opt-outs. There's just still, we don't have final rosters. It just really, especially when you look at a parallel with the NBA, which seems to have information coming all the time and been very forthcoming. They've sent a manual, you know, it's been, there's been so much public information. I just want the WNBA to be seen in a positive light and um, trans lack of transparency doesn't help. Completely agree. And I definitely do want to take a second to give a shout out to both Kathy Engelbert and Adam Silver, because they honestly have been in some very tough situations. And thus far, I think that they've done a solid job with trying, and I'll say that, with at least trying to make the best decisions that they can make, which is from what I'm hearing from, you know, players that I have spoken to from journalists who are down in Florida, whether it's in Orlando, um, at the NBA bubble with people who are there. Um, I have heard that they are at least trying to do their best. And, and that's all that, you know, I as a fan could ask for um, is that they are trying to do their best to make the best decisions that they can make. So I do want to at least send them some applause for that. But I would definitely not want to be in their shoes at this moment, <laughs> for sure. Um, we're going to switch gears, though, before we head out of here. And that is, um, we got some big news last week that after 13 seasons, uh, Coach Joanne McCauley will not be returning to Duke. Um, she described it herself as she put out a video on, on Instagram to the team's official Twitter account stating her reasoning. Some of the things she stated, and I quote, 
Um, I am choosing to step away as head coach at Duke. As a coach in the final year of my contract, uncertainty is natural, and it takes away from confidence and fun. I am pretty sure there is a level of uncertainty among the Duke family. I want to bring clarity with great pride for all. Throughout my entire coaching career, I have thrived on providing stability, and I have enjoyed long-term relationships with every program I've had the honor to serve. Clarity and principle over uncertainty must prevail. Um, this was a shock for a lot of us, I think, um, at least those of us who did not have insight, insight. But, um, you know, she has a, a, an all-star, all-star record. You know, she's 330 and 107 record at Duke. Um, she's a three-time uh, ACC Conference Coach of the Year. Uh, the Blue Devils have won three ACC titles and have reached 10 tournaments in her tenure. So quite naturally, I think this was a surprise, but I also, you know, wonder where does Duke go from here? There were rumors about Gail Gozencourt taking over. Um, I think that those rumors have been dispelled. What do you think about all of this, and where do you think the program should start to look for a replacement? Yeah, I mean, this is a, Duke is arguably the most attractive job in, in America, if you ask me. I mean, it's it's a great job uh, for a lot of reasons. They have tradition. There's a great culture. It's an intimate, you know, smaller private school. Um, there's the men's basketball program. Uh, Duke is going to attract the top players and top talent just because. Um, and so. When I think about this job, first of all, I would say I am one, I'm someone who was definitely disappointed that Gail Guesting Chorus wasn't a part of uh, consideration, serious consideration, not just interview, because to me, Duke is not where it is as a program without what she's done. She's mm -hmm. interested in getting back into college coaching. I, I, I don't necessarily understand what's behind that other than, yes, they don't want to look back. They want to look forward. But so I'll get over that. Um, but with that being said, I mean, and also their alumni, and that's the critical piece moving forward is their alumni were very vocal about wanting Gail to have a shot at this job. And Duke has some of the most influential players in the history of college basketball, whether you're talking about an Elizabeth Williams or, you know, Elena Beard or uh, Lindsay Harding, um, Georgia Schweitzer. I mean, the list goes on and on. Michelle Van Gorp. So now Duke has put themselves in a situation where they have to make sure that alumni show up somewhere in this decision. So when you think about where they may go, I mean, you have Joyce Smith, you have um, Elena Beard, you have Lindsay Harding, you know, you have a lot of Duke alum that may not necessarily have the resume to slide into a position like this quite yet, but, um, and when I say that, I'm saying like they have, they don't have head coaching college experience, but obviously have various levels of experience that would qualify them if Duke wanted to take a risk or take a chance on someone who um, is an alum, but could also fill in those shoes. But there's a couple of different directions they could go. I mean, they have a couple of past assistants in Shannon Perry, Trisha Stafford Odom, mm -hmm. who I think are both names that resonate with players um, and that are, are familiar with the culture at Duke and what the expectations are there and have those relationships, but are also very, very good coaches. Um, but then you look across the country at some of the names that they could be considering that are head coaches right now, like Atina Langley, 
Um, Adia Barnes of Arizona is a very interesting name for me. I've heard whispers that they want to hire a woman of color. I think that would be amazing. Um, you know, you think about a Felicia Leggett Jack yeah. at uh, Buffalo. I mean, you even think of an assistant coach like a Jolette Law at, at South Carolina. I mean, there's a lot of different, or Charlotte Smith who's right down the street at Elon, who's a, who's a Carolina grad. Um, don't know if Duke would ever do that, but she's qualified. And so uh, a lot of different directions that Duke can go, but I think the most important thing is having someone that understands the uniqueness of Duke academically um, and that can handle the pressure because with the way that North Carolina right down the street is building, NC State with Wes Moore, is, is consistently a top 25 program. I mean, this is who you're recruiting against. So you got to have someone that understands the pressure of all of that and can get Duke back to its glory days, which when they were on top, it was going to the final four. Um, and so you've got options, but I expect that Duke will make a swift decision. They've probably already been looking into this and I expect an announcement soon. Absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. I definitely thought that an alumni would be some, someone who they would consider. I actually was thinking Mo Curry. Granted, I don't believe she has any, um, any coaching experience, but I know she definitely has that it factor and, and, and knows, how, what, knows what it takes to win. She was an All-American when she was at Duke. So she's just somebody I thought about. And you mentioned the other person I thought about, Felicia Legat-Jack, who I absolutely adore. And I would love to see her in a program um, like Duke to just to kind of further let people who don't get a chance to catch um, Buffalo get a chance to see like who she is and how she rolls. I we, uh, did an interview with her, I believe a year ago, um, on the show and she's just an amazing person. I absolutely love her personality. So that would be awesome. Yeah. And I just want to say this real quick too, Sarika, you know, something that I feel very confident about in terms of this search for the Duke women's basketball head coach is that they have an administrator by the name of Nina King, who's their senior deputy director of athletics administration, who has been, or I believe is moving into the chair position um, of the selection committee for NCAA women's basketball. She has served on the committee. Um, so she's familiar. You know, I think most people's concern is, will they really dig to that next level of candidate? And will they really know what's all available? Well, Nina, as a part of this selection committee, has had to watch film on teams all across the country who has a real pulse on women's basketball. Uh, and so I'm excited about that. She's a woman of color bring some diversity to the decision making and, and not to say that she would have the final decision but I believe that she would be heavily involved in whatever happens so that's very encouraging to me I've had conversations with Nina and I, I just feel a sense of peace and knowing that she will be involved to some level in, in what may come of her doing. That is certainly encouraging. And before we get out of here, I just want to give a huge shout out to our girl in front of the podcast, Chinea Gumake. Yesterday, it was announced that she is going to be the new host of a nationally syndicated radio show on ESPN Radio's network from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern time alongside Mike Gola Jr. And I'm so excited for her. I'm so excited for the opportunity to finally have a black female voice on ESPN radio. It is so exciting. It is a win. And for it to be Chanae, 
Um, I absolutely love it. And so I just wanted to throw her some love. And now we understand why you were too good to ever come back to the podcast because you were making radio moves. We feel you. Okay. Big moves. Yeah, she she outgrew us pretty much after the first week of the podcast. I don't even think we've been able to get in touch with Chanae since then. So uh, (laughs) that's major to have the voice of a woman of color and Chanae's just, you know, she's brilliant. So um, shout out to to ESPN and ESPN Radio for making a much needed move and and Sinead, very well deserving. Absolutely. Well, um, I don't have anything else. I think I'm good. At least until some new thing hits Twitter in the next twelve hours, that's gonna make all of us snatch our edges out. So, um, do you have anything else on your plate, Lachina? I'm good, T. Just living, you know, out here in the world, ready for the season to start, getting excited about the kickoff of the WNBA, and um, just hoping everybody's staying safe and wearing your mask. Please wear your mask. COVID-19 is real, people, fans. Please, please, please be safe. Before we get out of here, make sure you guys are checking out the Woj pod. We are talking WNBA and the W bubble, but he's got everything covered from the NBA's perspective in the Orlando bubble. In fact, just this week, he sat down with Malika Andrews and Barbie Marks to discuss the NBA restart in Orlando. So you can find the Woj pod wherever you get your podcast. And please make sure you are also following us on social media. LaChina is at LaChina Robinson. I am at She Knows Sports underscore Around the Rim is at Around the Rim Pod. Um, also, send us an email if you would like at Around the Rim Podcast at gmail.com. And we will talk to you guys next time. Peace out. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.